Water, a biannual report that offers the best available data on a variety of water-related topics, is fast becoming a precious resource in the water management field. The report is edited by Dr. Peter H. Glick, a preeminent expert on freshwater issues. Andrew Falland, Vice President of Conservation at American Rivers, recently sat down with Dr. Glick to discuss the challenges of the sustainable management of our rivers and other freshwater resources. forever. I grew up in New York City, but I, I'm a bird watcher. My father and I went out. My father was a New York lawyer, but uh, I think if he had had to live it all over again, he would have been a he would have been a forest ranger out west. He had a love of the environment, and I guess instilled that in me. And my educational interests early on went toward the environment, uh, understanding environmental issues in the 1960s and the 1970s, and my training was science-based, and so I came at all these issues from a science point of view. But early on, it was pretty clear that environmental issues aren't just science issues. They're issues of economics and equity and social justice and communities. I mean, they are what the environment is. They're something that touch all of us. And my interest in water, I guess, grew out of, out of the fact that water's connected to everything. Uh, there is nothing that I think we care about in the environmental area that doesn't, to, or, or any area that doesn't, to some degree, touch on water. Uh, water and energy, water and human health, water and ecosystems, water and politics. It just is. It, it's described as the universal solvent, but it's also the universal connector. It, it connects us with every aspect of the real world. Mm -hmm. And so I've always, I've always loved the issue of water. Do you have a favorite memory or an image of a river or stream? And uh, I wonder if you'd, you'd share that. Well, I have lots of them. Uh, I mean, I grew up around salt water, but, so that's not a great answer, <laughs> since almost everything I do is freshwater related. But I've spent a lot of time on rivers, uh, just hiking and camping and rafting and sitting and thinking. As I'm sure everyone who interviews for a job here knows, uh, it doesn't get much better than just sitting alongside a river and, and watching water. Water's pretty mesmerizing. Yeah. Um, but ironically, I also spend a lot of time in the desert with my family, where the major characteristic in some sense is the absence of water. And so I guess it's the extremes that, that I find so fascinating and are so ultimately critical to human well-being. So I, I mean, you know, I have, I have lots of great memories of being in the environment where water plays such an important role. You mentioned extremes and having a fascination with extremes, and, and of course you write a great deal about climate change and global warming, which seems to have a lot to do with extremes. Uh, it, people talk a lot about the averages, 
but it's the extremes that seem to get the most notoriety and attention. Let, let me react yeah, to, to please. that. Um, it is the extremes that kill us. Right. It's the extremes that matter. Uh, on average, global climate change is going to be a bad thing. But even worse is the possibility, I would say the growing possibility, that it's the extremes that are going to change and that that's what, what we need to pay, pay attention to. And by that I mean floods and droughts. Floods and droughts are already a bad thing. Droughts cripple our agricultural production, floods kill people and destroy property, and the extent to which we're already incapable of managing extreme events well, the extent to which we build in floodplains, the extent to which we don't think about drought resilience, uh, means that the extent to which climate change affects those is, is going to make us all more and more unhappy. And I don't think we adequately think about the extremes. Do you think that the tools are there to actually deal with the extremes? I mean, as you say, floods and droughts are things that we already live with, and while we don't deal with them well even under current uh, historical uh, averages and norms, we at least have some knowledge of them and, and, and how to, to deal with them, even if we don't implement it well. Is it your belief that we actually have the capacity to deal with this, just perhaps not the political will? I do believe we have the tools to deal with extremes. Now, that's not to say that floods and droughts and other kinds of extremes in the water world aren't going to continue to be a problem. We don't have the tools to completely eliminate extreme events. And as a society, we choose things that put us in harm's way of extreme events, and that's not going to change. But I think it's, it's absolutely unarguable that we could do a lot better. We build in floodplains. We don't manage our rivers well. We don't manage our coasts well, because there's a disconnect in this country and elsewhere between water policy and land use policy and development and economic incentives and subsidies that lead people to make bad decisions about placing themselves in harm's way. And even in the absence of climate change, we could reduce our flood damage and our flood risk and our flood deaths enormously by changing the way we build things. And we've chosen not to do that for a variety of political reasons. But if we were smarter, we would go back and rethink all that. In your writing, you expressed actually quite a bit of optimism about water scarcity and amounts of water available for basic human consumption in the West, whereas a lot of folks have been expressing a great deal of concern about that and, and a need for a lot more storage and, and so on and so forth. I, I wonder if you could perhaps explain a little bit about why you may have a bit more optimism about that than perhaps some others. Well, again, this is a difference between can and will. I believe very strongly that even in water-scarce areas, there's an, enough water for basic human needs, which is not a lot of water. The, the, the requirement to meet basic human needs, which we failed grossly to meet around the world, is not a lot of water. It's a bit of clean water and it's adequate sanitation services. And the U.S. aside, there are huge numbers of people who don't have access to those basic services. But the amount of water required to meet those basic human needs and the amount of money to provide the systems and the infrastructure to meet those basic needs isn't a lot. It's not huge. There are places on the planet where there's not enough water to do all of the things we want to do with water, especially as inefficiently as we use water. 
Uh, there are places on the planet where we'll, where we'll never grow enough food with irrigation to meet the food needs of that region. And for that reason, we move food from one place on this planet to another and there are food markets. But I also believe that we use water tremendously inefficiently. And the reason why I'm optimistic in places like the Western United States, even with growing population and, and in theory growing demands for water, is that we waste a lot of what we use. We could use water much more efficiently and do the things we want to do. It's also true that we sometimes do things in water-scarce areas that maybe we shouldn't be doing, like growing alfalfa and irrigated pasture and cotton in the western U.S. We could do a lot better with the water that we have. We could restore ecosystem flows. We could meet growing urban demands for water and still have water left over for other human uses if we were more efficient and if we didn't do some of the stupid things we do with water at the moment. It sounds an awful lot like the kind of refrain that we've heard from, from the energy uh, sector for the past many years, uh, the whole notion Amory Levin's uh, yeah. efficiency ideas uh, seem to be quite draw a very similar parallel to what you're saying. There are very strong parallels between energy and water. There, there's some differences, some important differences. Uh, the biggest one perhaps being there's no substitute for water. There are substitutes for fossil fuels. And so Amory's argument about efficiency is one I believe is very applicable in the water area. We could do what we want with far less energy. We could be more efficient. But on the energy side, the other critical issue is getting off of fossil fuels. We, we can't afford the environmental consequences and the human consequences and the security consequences and the economic consequences of burning fossil fuels forever. The problem is switching from fossil fuels to something that doesn't produce carbon dioxide, it doesn't destroy local communities by strip mining, all of the pretty well-known problems associated with the use of fossil fuels. For water, there are no substitutes, and so the efficiency argument is a good one. We could do much more with less water, but there are some fundamental things that we require water for that for which there are no substitutes. And then it's a question of figuring out how to manage it, how to manage the limited resources that we have. It seems like every time a new dam is built, particularly for flood control, or a new levee is built, suddenly thousands of people come flocking in right behind it or right beneath it with the assumption that they're suddenly going to be safe. Well, that's right. It's the failure that I, I hinted at earlier of to do smart water management combined with smart land use. And that's a challenge. And until we solve that problem, until we integrate those issues, then it's entirely possible we'll keep building dams and worsen the flood risk because we haven't dealt with a land management issue rather than lessening the flood risk. Mm -hmm. So you're sitting here in Washington, D.C., what's becoming a nice uh, afternoon uh, in November. Uh, we just had an election and there's a new leadership in town. What would you advise the new leadership in Congress if they wanted to take three steps to improve water policy in the United States at well, the federal level? Well, water is not just a federal issue, of course. There are a lot of things that need to be done at the state or the local level. But at the federal level, there has been for some time a serious lack of both leadership and even awareness of these issues. There's been a misuse of science that 
goes beyond egregious toward scandalous. And there is an opportunity, I think, for the U.S. to rethink national water policy in a number of areas. Uh, one is we have to get better at flood management, and the Katrina disaster taught us some lessons that need to be implemented. We, we need to do things differently in terms of land use and water use and flood control and flood protection. We need to strengthen protection of wetlands, not weaken them, because of the incredible value that wetlands provide us for water quality, for flood control, for all of the things that, for, for ecosystem health, all the things that, that wetlands provide. Uh, and we also need to rethink the role of water in international politics. I believe that we could do more to improve the reputation of the United States by helping meet basic human needs for water in developing countries uh, through education and money and technology and all of the things that the U.S. is incredibly rich in. And we would build more goodwill than anything we're doing in foreign policy right now. And we've done a lot of things in foreign policy in the last few years that produce the opposite of goodwill. But providing water supply and sanitation in developing countries is so critical and so easy in some ways from a foreign policy point of view and produces so many benefits that not doing it is really missing. But, and uh, the amount of money we spend helping Africa on water supply and sanitation is, is pathetic. It's tiny. And there's interest in Congress already, even a bipartisan Congress, in changing that, but not much has been done recently. I wanted to turn back to global warming, and one of the questions that I wanted to ask you was, I wondered what you think the river conservation community can and should be doing to help combat global warming. Well, the biggest challenge for rivers in the future from global warming is going to be changes in the timing and flow and availability and quality of rivers. There, there's still plenty of uncertainties about the details of future climate change, although there's, I think, no uncertainty that it's happening because of human activity. Uh, and so part of the challenge is going to be keeping up with the science, understanding what those impacts are going to be as we get better and better at understanding the regional consequences, something we're not great at now, but, but we're getting better at. And as, as the science improves, we'll have more and more information about what the local consequences are going to be. And as we improve our understanding of the local consequences, I think we'll have a better sense of how to, how to adapt to things at the local level. This is really a two-pronged problem. We, we have adaptation to, I guess the best way to say it is we have to manage unavoidable impacts from climate change. There are going to be unavoidable impacts and we have to manage for them. And we have to avoid unmanageable impacts from climate change. There are going to be consequences of climate change that, that are going to be disastrous and unmanageable, and we need to do everything we can to prevent those from happening at all. And so we have to work to reduce greenhouse gas emissions, to reduce the severity and speed of climate change. And yet we also have to understand that there are things that are just going to be unavoidable and we're going to have to manage them. Um, and that means better managing rivers as a whole. It means better managing watersheds. It means better integrating land use policies with energy policies, with transportation policies, with water policies. Uh, part of that is improving the efficiency of use so that our demand on the rivers goes down. Part of it is putting in place now guaranteed flows for ecosystems. If we cannot return water, commit water for ecosystems now, it could be harder in the future when climate change affects 
the timing or the quality or the quantity of flows. Uh, and those are efforts that we don't, you know, we don't have to wait for the science to improve. We don't have to wait for unavoidable impacts to occur. We don't have to wait for the crisis. We've got to be implementing ecosystem restoration now, and that's already underway, and lots of the local groups are working on that, and anything that can be done to strengthen their ability to change policy is, is going to be key. Well, Peter, thank you for your time. Sure, my yeah. pleasure. Thank you.